John chapter 18. Let me catch you up quickly on where we've been, and then we'll try to work through the text together. A couple weeks ago, we, we started John chapter 18, and again, as a reminder, this John chapter 18 was the starting at the, the, the night of Jesus' betrayal, the night before and of, if you will. And he was before this, he was in the upper room with the disciples. He had given his farewell discourse, which we saw was quite a few chapters. And then in chapter 18, John, uh, John shows us that Jesus and the disciples leave and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's other things that happen in the Garden, but remember, John has a different purpose in his writing. Now, again, this is ultimately the Holy Spirit, but each of the Gospels, they have a different purpose in their writing. John does not give us great detail of what happens in the Garden concerning prayer and other things. But what we see right away in chapter 18 is that Jesus and the disciples go into the garden, and then quickly we see that Judas is leading 300 to 500 soldiers, servants, officers, chief priests to come find Jesus. And John makes sure that we know that Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. And so as they come, Jesus doesn't hide, but he goes forward to them and says, whom do you seek? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. Or as your Bible will say, I am he. He says, I am, and they are all knocked over. He then allows them to get back up. And instead of worshiping him, they continue with their mission. So he says, you can take me, but you're not going to take any of my disciples. But then Peter gets the brave idea to pull out his sword. And he swings and kind of misses. He takes off the ear of this servant. John doesn't tell us, but the other Gospels do, that Jesus heals it. But he tells Peter, put that away. I'm supposed to drink the cup of God's wrath. This is how it's supposed to go. Make no mistake, John has been painting the picture for us. Jesus knows everything that's going to happen, and everything is going according to plan. How many of you right now, if you were in Jesus' position, and you didn't know all that, and you're seeing that the, the king is about to be arrested, punched in the face, spit on, beaten, crucified, killed, would you say, that doesn't seem like the right plan. How do you become a king like that? How do you save people like that? That's part of why we know scripture is from God, because if we were to write up the story, it wouldn't look like that. It would look more like Peter's story, pulling out swords, hacking, doing whatever we can. Last week, we then looked at how when, when Peter was next to Jesus, he was very bold. Now Jesus is taken away and, and Peter's going. And as we get away from Jesus, we lose our boldness. We lose our peace. We lose our confidence. And so as they take Jesus inside this courtyard, we see that Peter comes, but he stops at the door. But somehow John seems to get to go inside. And John goes back out to get Peter and brings Peter in. And this servant girl, probably a teenage girl, asks Peter, you're not one of those disciples of his, are you? And Peter denies. We then saw that the high priest, which wasn't the true high priest, it was the guy who was the high priest from before, but who's actually behind the scenes and still in power, starts to question. What Jesus ultimately says to them is, are you going to do this the right way, the way it should be done? Are you going to follow the law? Are you going to follow truth? Or are you going to give me an unfair trial? And so they punch him in the face. 
or slap him in the face, and they say, how can you talk to the high priest that way? And he continues to push, and finally they say, get him out of here. Take him to the true high priest. But John then shows us that as Peter denied Christ and sin, what we talked about was once we do that and we don't repent, it becomes easier and easier and easier for us. And we see Peter quickly denies Jesus again two more times. But again, the reminder in this passage was when everybody else, John, the guards, Peter, you, me, when we are unfaithful, Jesus is always what? He's always faithful. So that takes us to the passage as the story continues. So let's read. I'm going to read out loud. You can follow along silently, starting in verse 28. John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. And we'll go through, Lord willing, to the end of the chapter. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter into the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, "Do, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. John continues to tell the story starting in 28. They took Jesus from Annas' house, who's kind of behind the scenes, the puppet master, if you will. He's behind the scenes ruling everything. But they go from Annas to Caiaphas, the true high priest, because they are still going to have to have some form of formal trial, even though that trial is not following 
Scripture, even though that trial is evil and deceitful, they're still going to go through the steps to make sure that it looks good. So they lead Jesus, verse 28, from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. Most commentators would say probably around 6 a.m. The Romans would start very early. For some of you, are like, that's not early. Okay, well, for some of us, that's really early. But they would be done with their work by 11 a.m., so they would start very early. But look what happens with the Jews and the priests and the chief priests and the scribes. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Passover's been going on. That's not just talking about the one meal that Jesus ate with his disciples. This is talking about a, a, a whole bunch of things that are happening that week, this celebration. So they wanted to be able to continue to observe the Passover. So here's what they do. These guys who are so concerned about making sure that they're holy and doing everything by what the Lord says, that they don't want to go into this covered area where the Gentiles are because they might be unclean. If you have been following along in the story, does it seem like that's something they would be concerned with, being holy? Not really. They've been nothing but evil throughout this whole thing, not following the law closely and rejecting the Son of God. They're not really interested in holiness. They're interested in looking holy. We're going to land here for a minute this morning. In Matthew 23, Jesus goes through this passage, and it's called, it's titled at the top of many Bibles, The Seven Woes to the Scribes and the Pharisees. I'm just going to read a few of these to you. Matthew 23, I'm going to start in 25. Here's what Jesus says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Some of you remember a few months back, I had a cup that looked real nice on the outside that you could see, and inside it had a bunch of chocolate syrup. Some of you are like, oh, that's glorious. Well, it was to show that it was dirty inside. And if you could, you could wash the outside of that cup all you want, and it's going to look real nice. But until you wash out the inside, or until God washes out the inside, it will constantly be dirty. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So also, Outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's a wonder they wanted to kill this guy. But Jesus calls it like it is. And so what I want to gently say to you this morning, if you look on the back of your sermon notes, the first point there, 
Just because you seem holy on the outside doesn't make you holy on the inside. So I love you, but I'm going to say this to you because I love you. All the time you will hear people saying, you may be guilty of it yourself, saying, well, the church is nothing but full of hypocrites. You ever heard that? Show of hands. Ever heard that? You ever thought it? <laughs> ever said it? <laughs> this is awkward. I can't lie in church, but no, don't make me raise my hand. You ever thought about yourself? Here's the thing. Depending on what you mean by that, may be true. We have to clarify. If by hypocrites, somebody were to say, oh, is your church full of hypocrites? If what they mean is that we are a bunch of people who say, we're perfect, we've got it all together, all of our sin is forgiven, and we don't sin anymore, and we're better than everybody else, but really, we're sinning all the time, I would say, no, that's not us. But for some reason, that's what people tend to think. What are we as Christians? We are sinners saved by the grace of God. Amen? We are people who, yes, we, our sins have been forgiven, separated as far as the east is from the west. We are a new creation. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us, but we still have this old nature, and we are being sanctified, looking more like Jesus. Yes, but man, is it a journey. We are going, and we sin, and we fall. And by the grace of God, we get up, and we repent, and we keep going. If you're saying that's a hypocrite, okay. By no means do we think that we're perfect, right? In fact, we know we're not. That's why we cry out for the mercy of God. But I want to say to you today that if this applies to you, listen carefully. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be somebody who you've never really cried out to the Lord, believed in his death in your place for your sins, and believe that after three days he rose for your salvation. Don't be somebody who says you've done that, but inside you're dead. And you may know, this, this word may bear on your soul right now. Do not be somebody that just wants to look good because, well, I've been serving in the church for 30 years. What if I come out and say that I'm not really a Christian? It's better to do that than to keep lying. Cry out to God for salvation. Do not be somebody that wants to look good because you're worried about what everybody else will say. Do what God says. That applies to somebody who's not a Christian, but I do think we can apply this some to those of us who are Christians. Here's what else we do. Yes, we know we're saved by grace. Yes, we know we're a work in progress, but we're also not very honest when it comes to our struggles. We want to put our best foot forward. We want to make sure that we look good when we're around everybody else, that I've got it all together. We don't want to be honest and vulnerable and transparent with people and say, I am struggling. There's days I get up and I'm like, ah, I don't even know if I want to live this life anymore. 
There's days that I'm like, I'm not sure, Lord, that any of this is real. I'm not sure what truth is right now. I'm lost. I'm going in circles. Help me. You keep going back, and there's these secret sins that you have, and you will not share them with anybody else so they can pray with you and counsel you. You hide them, but then you say, oh, how's it going? Oh, everything's going good. Praise the Lord. Sun's shining. I'm above ground. And deep down inside, you are hurting. You hypocrite. All of us. We do it. We don't need to. Because here's what happens. When we come and we confess who we truly are, who the Lord sees that we are, he gets the glory because he makes things beautiful out of the brokenness. And that's how he receives his glory. Just because we seem holy on the outside doesn't make us holy on the inside. Do not be afraid to show what you're really struggling with, to share it with brothers and sisters so that you can continue to follow Jesus well. So these guys in verse 28, they're so concerned about holiness that we don't want to even step inside there, but we'll smack the Son of God in the face. We won't give him a fair trial. We'll do everything else. We'll make sure we go in the middle of the night so nobody sees. But when everyone can see, we want to make sure we look good. Don't be like them. Verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now, this is an interesting question. Remember, they had a whole bunch of Roman soldiers with them. How do you think they got that approval? He knows what's going on. He had to give the approval for them to even have these soldiers with them. He's had to talk to them, at least some. Pilate is a bit of a difficult character. So he's going to say, all right, I'm not sure all this makes sense. Let me hear it. What accusation do you bring against this man? So notice he goes outside to where the Jews are, to the world. He goes outside to the world, and he begins this conversation. Here's their response. This is a great response. Heard this one so many times. They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. What kind of answer is that? What charge do you have against this guy? He's doing bad stuff. Why? Because we said so. Right? If you have kids or grandkids, you've heard this one. Right? Oh, man. Use my kids. Caleb, he, 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 he's in trouble. He did something. What did he do? Well, I wouldn't tell you if, uh, you know, I'm telling you that he did something wrong. Obviously, the fact that I'm telling you means he's guilty. Right? Because I came first. He's done something. And usually it takes all of us to investigate a little further to find out what really happened. Because everybody seems right until you hear the other side of the what? Story. Well, he's doing evil. That's the reason we brought him to you, Pilate. So verse 31, Pilate said to them, "Eh, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Pilate didn't want to get in the middle of this. This is a Jewish thing. Y'all go handle this. I don't want to get involved. Here's the problem. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. See, they used to be able to do that, but that right got taken away under the Roman authorities. Now that they're under Rome, they can't do that anymore. They can't kill him. So they need Pilate to get on board. Okay? 
So what do we got to do? How are we going to get Pilate on board with our plan to take out Jesus? Look what it says. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. I don't want to make light of this. Pay close attention here. It's not lawful for them to put him to death. If the Jews were going to put Jesus to death, does anyone know how they would have done it? Stoning. Okay. So stoning would have been the issue or the way. But for those of you who want to, if you turn to Psalm 22, this was read earlier this morning. Psalm 22. And the way Psalm 22 begins, some of you have heard this before, that it begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many of you have heard that before? Right. Where have you heard that? On the cross. Well, as many of you know, that especially at the time that Jesus would have been there, guess what? There was no Psalm 22. You couldn't say, open your Bibles to Psalm 22. You would have to identify it by the first line of the psalm. So, open your Bibles to, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which means you've got to know your Bibles pretty well. So when Jesus says that on the cross, there's a lot that's going on, which we can't get into today. But at least part of what he's doing is he's identifying this psalm in that moment. Why would he do that? Well, this is a messianic psalm. Hundreds of years before Jesus, this psalm was written, and it's speaking about him. And I'm just going to hone in on a few verses. I'm going to hone in on verses 16, 17, and 18. I really would encourage you to read through this whole psalm and see how much of it applies to Jesus. But listen to this. The psalmist is speaking. Jesus just said, hey, read that psalm. That's what's going on right now. Listen. For dogs encompass me. You know what dogs are to the Jews? Gentiles. Romans who are around him. So this is what he says on the cross. He has these Gentiles around him, these Roman guards around him. A company of evildoers encircles me. He has two crucified, one to the right, one to the left, those who were guilty. They have pierced my hands and feet. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, crucifixion didn't even exist yet. It went until the 3rd or 4th century B.C. This is before that. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Do you remember that after? How the guards did that? So what's interesting is the Lord in his providence says, this is how Jesus is going to die. This is how the Messiah is going to die, is this way, being pierced through his hands and his feet. In John chapter 12, Jesus said this starting in verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this, this is going to sound familiar, to show what kind of death he was going to die. Here's what I want you to see, a second thing on your list here. God has providentially worked throughout history to bring his plan to pass And he continues to do so. God has providentially worked throughout history to bring his plan to pass. And he continues to do so. And the third one. God appoints kings 
leaders, rulers, and presidents to their positions to fulfill his purposes. God appoints kings, leaders, rulers, and presidents to their positions to fulfill his purposes. Romans 13, 1 and 2. Here's how this should blow you away. If Jesus would have come before the Romans were in charge, one, the Jews would have killed him, but they would have stoned him. So God works in history that the Romans would be in charge. They would take over after we see these different kingdoms come and go. The Romans would be in charge. The Jews, their right to even kill has been taken away. And the way that capital punishment is going to be carried out is through crucifixion. God providentially worked throughout history to make sure that when Jesus came in the fullness of time, when he came, it was the perfect timing for him to die the way that he needed to die as a sacrifice for us to fulfill scripture. Our God is working all around and right now. So he says this is the kind of death he was going to die. So now Pilate was outside. So Pilate goes inside. We're actually going to see this this week and next week. He's going to go back and forth. He's going to go into the palace now. And he calls Jesus. And he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? What is it that they said he was? What did the Jewish people tell Pilate that get him on their side? He's some king. He's trying to overthrow you. He's trying to overthrow the kingdom. That's how you get Rome on your side. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it about me? Here's Pilate's response. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Look at what 36 says. And this I want to plan on for a few minutes too. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Think about that for a second. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Brothers and sisters, we have to get this. I think we miss this all the time. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. He is the king of a spiritual kingdom. Now, one day, he will come back and he will set up his kingdom on this world in a physical way. But the fourth point you have, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. The fifth point, here's my question for you. Is your focus on Jesus' kingdom or your own kingdom? Is your focus on Jesus' kingdom or your own kingdom? What does it mean? What does it mean for us to be focused on Jesus' kingdom, which is not of this world? Well, how much time do you spend focusing on the things of this world? How much time do we spend focusing on the things of this world? I think Jesus would encourage us that we need to spend more time focusing on the kingdom. Continuing on. Then Pilate said, verse 37, So you are a king, Jesus answered. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who listens to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, 
What is truth? And after this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Here's what Jesus just did. The one who is the truth, the one who is the way, the one who is the life, standing before Pilate, looks at him and says, I came to bear witness about the truth. Literally, the truth is staring him in the face. And you know what he says? What is truth? Brothers and sisters, do you do this? When the truth of God's word, when you open up God's word, or when a brother or sister speaks the word of God to you, or you are listening to something, and the truth of God is in your face, and it's right there, do you stay where the truth is and say, yes, Lord, use it to change me now. You're right, I'm wrong. Is that what Pilate does? Not at all. Where does Pilate go? He goes back out to the world. He goes back out to the world. What do you do when you are faced with the truth? Do you allow it to change you, or do you reject it and go back to the world? Go back to your own thinking and say, this is what's right. Pilate goes back out. And what's incredible, look what he says. After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews, and he told them, I find no guilt in him. What would a just ruler do at that point? If you're a just ruler and you go and you say, I have found no guilt in this man, what would you do? Let him go. Does he? He doesn't. He's going to try to pass the buck. Try to get out of his hands, put it back on them. He could have just said, this is what's right. This is what's true. You know what the problem is? He doesn't know truth. So he can't follow it. Until we know truth, we cannot follow it. So he turns and says, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They had an opportunity. What could they have said? Yes, we're wrong. You found no guilt in him? Okay. They made up their minds long ago, and they said, not this man, but Barabbas. You know what Barabbas' name means? Son of the Father. Son of the Father. Now, Barabbas was a robber, a murderer, and he was guilty of trying to overthrow. And so here's what happens. The, the true son of the Father, who hasn't done anything wrong, and, the, and Pilate says, he's not guilty. But which one do you want? And the world says, we'll take the one who na- whose name means Son of the Father, who is guilty and done wrong, we'll take him back. And what this is an amazing picture of is that's actually you and me. We're the ones who are guilty. And Jesus is the one who's not. And so this shows, again, that we don't want what's fair. How many of you hear this often, especially if you're a teacher or a parent or grandparent? That's not fair. When it comes to God, how many of you want fairness? Here's what's fair. Barabbas and each one of us get hell. And God is absolutely just in doing it. What's grace, what's mercy, is that Jesus, the one who did no wrong, he gets what we deserve. Some of you post on Facebook and some of you say, karma You talk about karma? Don't do that. 
What is karma? You get what you, right, comes back around. You don't want that. We don't want that. We want grace. We want mercy. And our loving God says, I will give it to you in my son who is the truth. And so the son of the father who gets freed is just like every one of us, and we actually get adopted and become true sons and daughters of the Father by his grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you don't give us what we deserve. Father, we're thankful that you don't call us to never sin and that's the only way you're going to love us. We're thankful that you've given us your son who is the truth and is the true spotless Passover lamb. And just like these guards who they were hoping to eat of the Passover to to eat of the lamb but inside they were evil. And they needed to be made new from the inside out. Lord, we are thankful that you have done that for us in Christ through the work of your spirit. And we know we're not perfect, Lord, and we don't claim to be. But Lord, help us to continue to repent of sin, cry out to you, and follow you together. I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are concerned about looking good on the outside instead of being and showing who they truly are, sinners saved by grace on this journey together. Help us to grow in that, Lord. Help us to cling to your truth. For those who may be here, Lord, and they have never cried out to you, they're still relying on their own wisdom, their own strength, their own works to get to heaven, I pray that they would cry out to you today for salvation. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for adopting us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.